UX Podcast Episode 116. Hi and welcome to UX Podcast, balancing business, technology, and users every every Friday. <laughs> You've never stumbled on that before. No, no. Every other Friday from Stockholm, I'm never stumbled on that. <laughs> You're listening to me, Pax Boom. and me, James Royal Lawson, and um, this is our Christmas special. It is, isn't it? Yeah, and it's actually mm. out on Christmas Day. So I hope you've all um, been very good, and Santa's been nice to you, and you've got lots of presents. Mm. Depending on your time zone, of course. I don't. You might not actually open them. Yet. Depending on when Santa comes or if he comes, uh, or if you're, if in, you're your in your neck of the woods, or <laughs> if you're in your culture, you might not even have Santa Claus. It might be that you get presents um, in January or something. Or if, if so, you're Dutch and you got it on yeah. the sixth, then. Or I might have just <laughs> made a real religious boo boo now by mentioning Christmas stuff completely. So, um, whatever holiday you're having this time of year and enjoying yourself, I hope you are. Um, we haven't been drinking, although you might think so. We've had some gingerbread, um, but. Um, <laughs> It's a listener phone in. Yes, it is. Yeah. And um, these are always good fun. It means that we don't know who we will be talking to. People call in. We sit for two hours and just wait to take people's calls. And we actually see people uh, on screen as well. So we can wave and say hi to them. Yeah. And we we have a vague topic for this um, listener phone in. Um, right. And that was the death of UX. The demise. Oh, demise. The demise of UX. Yeah. Very gloomy, I think. And but that is what happens this time of the year in Sweden. Oh, Paris. <laughs> and but oh, going away from the gloom and doom, we mm. also have um, a new co-host for this show format. Yes, we do. Really excited. We're not sitting here alone, actually. So, should we find out a little bit more about who that is? Yep. James and Donway managed to make time for a cup of tea. So yes. it's not just me and James sitting here this time. It's actually also Donway Tron Luciani, our new co-host for the Listener Phone Hints. Hello, yeah. Donway. Hello. Hello. Hello, everyone who's listening. So my name is Donway, and I'm very honored and very happy and excited to be the new co-host for these phone-in shows. Um, I have done a couple of podcast things before at my previous job at Microsoft. But now I have um, started a new journey and is currently pursuing a PhD in design. And now I'm starting another journey, joining these two guys here on these, this UX podcast, which is very cool. cool. Yeah. Awesome. And we, and we joked a little bit about how um, now we've got someone who really is educated in design. PhD in design. We used to uh, make fun of PhD in design. Oh, people. I'm not a PhD yet, so you can still <laughs> well, do yeah, You're doing the PhD, aren't you? Yeah. I'm not a PhD yet. <laughs> But you've done you've done other formal education in the realm of design. Yes, I have which, actually. Which here you've got um, a communicator. Mm -hmm. uh, you've done communication studies, is what you. James is pointing at me. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm pointing across <laughs> the room at that. Um, and and I'm um, an economist. Mm -hmm. So, but that's but that's actually really mm -hmm. good because because yeah. we've we know the whole uh, kind of tagline of the show is is connecting business users and technology. Mm. So we're kind of a step closer now to maybe connecting all three parts. Well, that's maybe. fantastic. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> that's true. I just made, made that up. I'm not sure it's true. <laughs> also, uh, what struck me earlier today is that uh, I have an iPhone, James has an Android phone, and Dunway has a Microsoft phone. Yes, a and Windows that's phone. That's pretty cool. Even. A, Windows a Windows phone. phone. A Windows phone. <laughs> Microsoft. Yeah. That's interesting, yeah. actually. Yeah, we've got it three is. completely different. <laughs> 
platforms in our pockets. <laughs> and then when it says she chose hers because she likes it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I feel like I always have to defend my choice, even now when I don't work at Microsoft. Even though I, I always have to say that I personally really like this phone. It's not because of my previous job. It's that I really actually like this phone. <laughs> I have said no. I said that like five times. I I actually have to very often defend my choice of having an Android mm. phone because in in like UX or design circles, mm. um, there's not many that, no, that don't right. have that's iPhones. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, it does. It works for me. Right. And I never have to defend myself <laughs> because I'm basically mainstream. <laughs> Ooh, guys, we have our first caller. Hey, we've got James Mole McConnell phoning in. So, what do you what do you want to um, say to us today, then, James? Well, what was the the theme you had was the demise of UX. Yeah. Yes. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. So, would you like my opinion on the theme of demise of UX? We would love it absolutely. I think uh, to understand the demise of UX, you need to define UX first of all, and. <laughs> Perhaps they both go hand in hand. Uh, mm. I see the demise of UX being correct uh, if you take what the definition of UX is to the general people in the industry. And for me, anyway, I think the definition today is uh, interaction design and, and UI design. And therefore, if that is the case, then we are in the demise of UX. We are not in the demise of UX when it comes, if we talk about what UX really is and the value of design and experience in terms of business. Hmm. I think thoughts? there's a, <clears throat> sorry, I was, gonna, I was gonna butt in with a, go on with your butt. Yep. <laughs> no thoughts, go ahead. All right, now I, I, was, I was just thinking about the, the, the whole push and pull side of this. and. Um, I think there's a lot of people in the industry that see UX obviously as more than just UI and, and interaction design. Mm. Um, but um, looking at how job ads, or at least um, consultant gigs that kind of come my way and appear in the in my feeds, they've they've changed an awful lot this last couple of years. And and I don't you don't see interaction design mentioned now as a, as a, in the title of of a of a consultant gig or contracting gig. It's always UX design or UX something. So so as far as what's been ordered from clients who order consultants like that, they're using UX as a as a pseudonym for interaction design. Whereas us on the on the on the kind of giving side, whether you're in house or a consultant, then you you see it as something broader. Yeah, exactly. Um and I, I think the the definition changes uh, depending on what culture and, and country that you're working in. Mm. And even in Sweden, if you go, um, you know, a couple of hours south, the definition of UX down there is very different from Stockholm. Mm, interesting. Because of the UX maturity in, in business. Mm. I'd say, you know, in uh, Norrköping or Linköping, these, these small, um, smaller cities, then uh, UX is... Yeah, just this name that means interaction design or and a bit of coding. Hmm. Um, so they're asking for UX rock stars, and uh, they're not really getting that, or they don't really know what they're asking for. So, is, so what we're kind of saying there, I guess, is is UX is the new web designer, 
yeah. that we used to have back in the day, like 15 years ago. Then right. you were a web designer, and then you were a unicorn. Mm. You, you did the design, the interaction design, the, the, the coding, and so on. But do you think it's because more people are getting aware of this term, UX, that people are starting to using it for everything? Is it because it's being more widespread and it's not, it's not just the UX community that is talking about UX, but now it's the business people, the salespeople, mm. the marketing people that start getting more aware that there is something mm. called UX and that they are maybe misusing it a yeah. little bit? Yeah, no, the, the branding of UX is winning. This is, we talked about that in the, in the show that went out this morning um, or last time, if you're listening to this as the real show. Um, we, we talked about um, behavioral econo um, economists and um, psychologists. And, and how they're having a, a little battle there. That's a lot of the stuff that's, that's um, labelled as behavioural economics is actually done by psychologists and is psychology, psychology work. Mm. But the branding is cooler. It's, it's kind of more media-friendly to talk about behavioural mm. um, yes. economics yeah. rather than psychology. And that's kind of the same thing with interaction design in UX or UX in general. It's become a, a thing, the must-have thing in your, in your company. Um, you've got to do UX. Yeah. I think you know companies are, are really starting to understand the the value that yeah okay UX is a differentiator when it comes to being successful in, in business so we really need to have this um, and of course there is going to be a, a learning process and I, I I just can't predict what it's going to look like in three years in terms of this term and, and the definition I mean I, I was reading the other day about someone who they are making a point in their company not to have UX in their title hmm. and that that makes a statement and it gives people the understanding that okay UX is is not this division or not one person hmm. hopefully they are understanding that everyone is part of creating the user experience um, so I thought that was really clever hmm. uh, but again you know if uh, you know people coming out of uh, education they have to be able to you know get a job in this market they have to be calling themselves UX designers and they have to be going for UX jobs um, exactly so it's a marketing thing yeah that's hmm. that's the state of the market hmm. Um, but hopefully they are they are coming out and educating businesses on what UX actually is. That would be nice. <laughs> I, I think you're spot on, Jamie. It's a terminology thing more than anything else. Of course, the concept and the grand work that UX is uh, yeah. doing for companies isn't going to disappear. But the more and more we argue, and I think that's what's happening in the field. We're arguing more and more about what we're really doing. And we're realizing that we have to get into other fields as well and do we still call ourselves UXers when we go move into product strategy or we yeah. do we take that term and use it instead and just say that we have a product product strategy with a UX uh, focus I don't yeah, know exactly. mm -hmm. I, th I think that's really it um, I mean I don't know I mean the term UX strategy is there and in terms of the definition I think that's a good thing because it actually makes people think okay UX isn't interaction design UI. If you're going to say UX strategy, people mm. are going to say, well, mm. what's that? Mm. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I think I think a lot of this stuff, like UX strategy and so on, they're 
they're important, uh, but they're transitional. And yeah. mm-hmm. and I I still think UX is is a transitional f- phrase, um, but I can't really tell you what's at the other side, and because uh, we don't really we don't agree on what UX is now. So how can I how can I tell you what the next UX is going to be? That replaces uh, it. Yeah, but I mean, in in terms of the value of UX, then I think um, you know it, there there is no demise. It is. Mm. Uh, I think we James we had the. A Twitter exchange um, talking about the the experience and design is the differentiator, mm. um, or will be in 2020. I can't remember exactly what was that. That's yeah. actually if you listen to today's show. That's that's that, that, he has a rant <laughs> for 20 minutes about it. Oh, I didn't know that oh, was yeah. from your conversation. With it, 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 oh, I look forward to that. <laughs> James was one of the people that tweeted the the, the article ah. um, about uh, about the business of UX. Oh, am I, am I in the bad books? Then, no, 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 not not the bad. No, you're not in the bad books. I just uh, it it um uh, oh it, it rattled my economics cage and and I started going on about um utility and and um, yes. marginal utility and 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 just pointing out about ux being 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 part of um our decision process uh, when con- designed to consume products um and it's not it's not really a differentiator it's it's part of um but um i'm not going to go into the rant again because <laughs> it was long enough in the show last time <laughs> i'll look forward to hearing it later on yeah yeah um, thanks very much for for calling in, James. Um, Pleasure. Always nice uh, to speak to you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And hello to the rest <laughs> of your design gang there yeah. as well. <laughs> Cheers, Bye. guys. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Danway, tell us a bit more about your PhD. What are you doing? Um, it's actually a long, <laughs> long journey. Um, mm-hmm. my plan is to have it done. Within five years, I just finished my first year, so I have four years left to go. Um, but it's supposed to be about four year long, but because I'm also teaching and doing some, uh, how do you say, intuition work, okay. 20% of my time, that becomes a five year project. Wow. Um, so <laughs> it's a long time. But then again, I spent six years at Microsoft and that time just flew by. So I'm guessing that this time will probably also fly by. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm having fun. I enjoy it a lot. And the project is about, well, my research interest is about sketching and mainly sketching in the early ideation phase when you don't really know what you're supposed to do and you use sketching as a tool to, to frame your problem. You're exploring different ideas before you choose which one you want to explore further and before you do real prototyping, so to speak. So um, I'm also interested in sketching in the field of interaction design when you're handling not necessarily physical material, but you know, you're know you blending software and hardware when you're sketching and when you sketch for unfamiliar um, environments. So the project I'm working on right now is involved a dome, um, a dome theater, how to sketch immersive presentation for a dome. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so like what they're going to be presenting inside the dome? Uh- there's a big screen, I presume. Yes, exactly. Mm. So inside the dome, which mm. is a half spherical building, and you sit inside and you have 360 degrees uh, projection around you. And these domes can look different. There are some that looks like um, a movie theater, so it's like 
um, how do you say, fixed seating. So everybody's facing forward, but everybody can just tilt their head. And there are other domes that have no seating. So people just walk around inside a dome or uh, lie down on the floor and just face up. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. So there's different kinds of dome settings. But the dome I'm working with have these fixed seatings. But they don't want to just have, you know, these kind of universium movies showing. Yeah. They want to have more interactive presentation to have a presenter standing in the front and ha- holding a present pres- pres- presentation and using the dome screen as a presentation tool. So how do you Ooh. do that? So sketching those kind of presentation. Uh, I want to do that. Challenge. Yeah, yeah that it, it's a pretty awesome. cool environment. Mm. But how would you do? How would you use that space efficiently? Uh, well, that, well, I mean, how did you, how would you actually design the presentation, or how would you? What's the process of designing it? Yeah, how well? Let's There's say two different things. Let's say it? next week you can you can you're invited to hold a presentation in mm. the dome, mm. and they say you can use the dome as a as w- to put what put mm. up whatever you want. How would you use that space? How would you you know? Would you just put up a PowerPoint? Or no. what would you know? Well. I, th- I think spontaneously, I think I'd need, I'd feel like I need two things. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them would be some kind of presentation simulator because I'm not going to be able to get access to a 360 mm-hmm. um, submersive dome presentation <laughs> suite um, <laughs> before I actually turn up to do the presentation. So, so I'm going to need something that helps me practice mm-hmm. how it is presenting in that kind of environment. Um, and then I'm going to need some kind of template that allows mm-hmm. me to either sketch a presentation mm-hmm. or or maybe even design it, but at least, at the very least, sketch it. Um, but um, So the simulator, like, would it be software or would it be, would it be something else? Yeah, well, I'm thinking Google Street View. Oh, okay. Because, oh. I mean, you'd, effectively, mm-hmm. if we took this on a paper mm-hmm. thing, then we'd have a, we'd have a round, mm-hmm. a circular piece of paper. I mean, mm-hmm. like when you're, um, when you're baking and things, sometimes you have to cut out things <laughs> yes. to put in cake tins and mm-hmm. so on. You'd, you'd do something round and a little hole in the middle to tell mm-hmm. you that you can't actually do something maybe. Can you, do, can you design actually in the very, very center? Or is that the point of projection? Well, yeah, well, actually, the stuff that's that's shown in the dome, um, when people sketch for the dome, the dome people, they actually sketch in the fisheye. I love <laughs> this, the dome people and the fisheye. I want to be the dome people. <laughs> sketch in the fisheye. <laughs> I'm the one that's calling them dome people. I don't know if they call themselves dome people. <laughs> I would just see this entire room full of dome heads. And they're sat there going, yes. Cone heads. Cone heads, yes. Yeah. Dome people with cone heads. Oh. Well, the more the people that are more familiar with the dome environment, they actually sketch in these fish eyes images. They call they call them fish eyes, not really fish eye. It's like inverted fish eye. Uh, it's that a circle or thing and the the middle point of the circle is actually what you see on top of this sphere when you're inside the dome. Mm. And the edges become, you know, the bottom. Oh, we got somebody calling us, I think. Um, oh, he- Hello, Craig. Oh, <laughs> We've got Craig Sullivan doing, here. Guys? I thought I'd drop in and say hello. And I must, before we even mm-hmm. say anything else, I like the tash. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually, it was an interesting motivational strategy trying to get my family ready to go somewhere this morning yeah uh, and so i thought this will work uh, <laughs> and i basically said if you're not ready then i'm gonna drive us all there with this ridiculous <laughs> mustache on. Right. They, were, they were late so i've kept the mustache right yeah, we need a picture so a constant, constant reminder so it's, it's like my attempt at a 
a blatant emotional nudge, you know? So, <laughs> the embarrassment of seeing you with that. So, Greg, um, welcome to the show again. Um, what um, what have you got to tell us today? Uh, I, I just wanted to sort of chat with you about um, ghost buttons because I was having a conversation on Twitter with someone about ghost buttons and the conversation kind of went, you know, ah, oh, but this is, like, really nice and beautiful and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but it's like having, like, wood-coloured door handles, you know. <laughs> you can't actually see any of the controls on the interface. I think you need to enlighten us here, Craig. I mean, what are ghost buttons? Ghost buttons, those kind of outline buttons that are basically just a little piece of text with uh, an outline, normally the same freaking colour as all the other stuff on the page. Um, you see them a lot on fashion mm. sites, luxury fashion sites, a few e-commerce sites, blogs now. Uh, and sometimes the buttons are transparent as well, so you get a background layer that seeps through them. So, you know, it's I, I'm just kind of annoyed because it's one of these design trends that seems to have really popped up that's based on nothing at all, really. I mean, <laughs> it must have come from somewhere. But it's it's from a wireframe, I'm thinking. It's kind of like it's in the same class as burgers for me. It mm. looks the like burger menus, yeah. On a superficial level, mm. but in practice, it doesn't actually really work for quite a lot of audience segments. And I think this is the same thing. I think it's like, you know, making all the dials in your car the mm. same color or making the door handle the same color as the door paint, for example. It just means that you've got to consciously think to actually look for the control and then find the control. You don't actually just see it subconsciously there. I just wonder why we why we keep doing silly things like this. You know, where do things like ghost, but where, where do these design trends come from? Um, I, I think I guess I mean, the interest debate debate is you know it's great to try new stuff, right? But uh, what if it doesn't work? <laughs> I see. Now there, you've gone to one of the things there. I mean, what if it doesn't work? I mean, to know if it's working or not, you'd have to be testing it. But I think what what my I know from experience. I mean, the amount of meetings we we sit in and the kind of the UX person or the designer, you know, stands there. We talked about this a little bit ago um, off air. Um, that someone stands there and they say, "Well, you know, everyone understands a hamburger menu, or everyone scrolls, or." Everyone has a mobile, and 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 these kind of um, you know fly from you know, shoot from the hip um, statements that are not backed up anywhere whatsoever with anything other than the other projects that you've worked on earlier and managed to sell in that design pattern. That's something which I think is 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 rife um, in our mm. industry still. That people are just because they've managed to convince someone to have a certain pattern, it becomes proven that it works because they've sold it. Not proven in what me and you, Craig, would say is, is, is proven in that they've actually properly looked at the data and tested it and, and worked out where it really is going to work. It's just confusing because we've come so far in manufacturing terms over the last 50 years. Uh, and, you know, there have been huge advantage, uh, advances made there in terms of stripping out productivity wastage. And I'm thinking of things in particular like Six Sigma and Kaizen and, and stuff like that and, and, and Lean. Mm -hmm. uh, but we don't really seem to have actually done this kind of transformation with the way we are actually building kind of software products because we're often doing it with a large amount of wastage that we're sitting on, just not kind of acknowledging it. 
you know there's the uh, you know people talk about technical debt i think there's also a user debt where we build stuff that nobody uses wants needs or or is persuaded by and a great deal of what people produce here can be kind of wasted or, or not work. You're right, not measuring it is, is the biggest problem of all. But I think it's it, it's that conceit I used to have it of thinking that because I'd seen a lot of problems that I knew exactly what the solutions were. Boy, oh boy, it, it took a while to beat that out of me, but hmm. it was worth doing. Hmm. I can see that you're really frustrated, <laughs> uh, obviously. Uh, I'm thinking, why is Craig so frustrated? Because you've seen so many bad solutions over the years. I mean, you, I mean, you can walk into any store as well, and you can see bad products all over the place. And from my perspective, if, when you're asking, how do these things come about? In this case, it's a misunderstanding of what minimalism is and, and beauty. And, and someone thinks it looks really beautiful. And it perhaps I'm, I'm thinking that could probably look really good uh, in the eye of the beholder, in the eye of the client. Mm. Uh, and nobody really cares about why they're doing it and what the outcome should be of whatever they're producing. Your, your article about fairy tale UX experiences nailed it for me because it's, uh, it, it, you know, there's a great difference between simple and 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 uh, you know clear and devoid of meaning uh, in terms of how <laughs> i actually can work mm. out how to operate something you know um and i i just think that it's an interesting point that we keep repeating a lot of these errors you know in retail i don't think there's that same going back and recycling stupidities of the past i think a lot of people kind of learn from a lot of things there, and in, in a way, their their environment is uh, retail is probably more data driven than most e-commerce mm. professionals, and that you know, uh, and I think as margins get tighter and competition gets fiercer online, or it's a larger part of your business, or it's more instrumental in your whole kind of strategy, then the more important this kind of problem gets because you can't afford to be doing stuff like that. You can't afford to be doing stuff that, hey, why don't we try out some of the stuff that Marks and Spencers was doing mm -hmm. back in 1976? <laughs> that would be good for a laugh, you know? But it's like, yeah, we'll do dumb things like we were doing back in 2003 on the web and that's okay then. Well, it's not okay because it's costing somebody some money to do mm. these things. Mm. Actually, one of our themes today is the demise of UX. Repeating the past. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. We're, we're talking about the demise of UX today. And I think this actually ties into it a lot because what I'm realizing and what I'm hearing is that there, there are so many consultants and, and people out there who are doing this bad work. And they're calling themselves the same thing that I'm calling myself, which is frustrating because when they see their outcomes and then they think, that, okay, so that's the kind of stuff that you produce as well. And that's the biggest problem with us working in the field of UX these days. It's anybody can call themselves a UXer and anybody can produce shit mm -hmm. whilst calling themselves a UXer. Which... There's, there's, there's different viewpoints on that. If we take the purely academic viewpoint, we can say, are people posing as UX consultants that don't have the depth of HCI and psych psychology to their 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 kind of brains that will will help them actually interpret this stuff properly and, and provide proper lens on what's happening and the answer to that is yes and there's the problem that they haven't got those qualifications no 
problem is part uh, growth in narcissism and hey, anybody can do that. Hey, fly an airplane, no problem. I've done Microsoft Flight Simulator. It's easy, right? You know, I could just get in there. It looks the same. I thought um, that. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and, 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 and uh, the guy that taught me how to moderate continually sent me into tests and uh, got me to do a whole load of pro bono work. Uh, where I would continually go in, they would rip me to shreds and show me where I was biasing the conversation. Gradually, over you know hundreds of hours, I got better and better and better until I was reasonably good at it. But by doing that, I learned to spot that there's probably a small amount of UX consultants, about 5%, I would say, that are actually even any good at doing that simple task of moderation. It's, it's, it's a really classy skill. And someone comes along and thinks yeah i can sit in a room and ask someone some questions while they browse a website that's not what it's about at all you mm -hmm. know and it, it took me many cruel and punishing hours in my karate kid moment um to, <laughs> to actually learn that valuable lesson by through repetition <laughs> and yes. criticism yeah. mm -hmm. The, and the, the demise of UX is, uh, is, is very much exaggerated. It's a, it's a timeless technique. It will, it will never die, in my view. But there's a big opportunity for, for UX professionals and people interested in um, qualitative and quantitative research techniques. And that's at the heart of lean teams actually building products. You know, this kind of squadification of um, team structures that's taking place in a lot of companies is a... Mm pretty big kind of experiment and in those sort of environments there's somebody who will very much be needed to actually be hands-on with iterating and working on designs throughout the complete life cycle and also supporting the quality point research that actually goes into the core decision making that those uh, small squads are doing when iterating products so i think there's a a transmogrification of the roles needed what we failed to really do is advance the kind of roles the UX industry churns out. The, the industry has changed massively, but the roles haven't. So what do we need now is not so much a, a UX professional who's done some moderation. We need somebody who's into Google Analytics as well, who's tool proficient with a range of call and quant tools that they can use to inspect problem domains and support the team as they iterate product. And I, I, I think that's the secret. It's like breaking into being at the heart of those kind of new organizational structures is where UX professionals can escape to, mm. to get away from these old hidebound roles that no longer make sense anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think I think you're onto something there, definitely. I think design stemmed from, you know, the crafts, uh, crafts movement. And back in those days, in the crafts movement, the same person that designed the thing was also the same person that produced the thing and also the same person that used the thing. Mm. And while that became more complicated, more roles started to appear. You had an architect, you have a designer, you have a programmer, so to speak. And now with the UX field becoming even more complicated, I think that will also produce a need for more diverse roles, just like you mentioned. I, I, I think I agree with you. On that point, no, no matter yeah. what we do as, as UX professionals, there's a, there's a substrate within business that we can't solve, which is if groups of people are siloized and product is passed around different teams or there's a, a chain of sign off or, you know, uh, walls of communication between different groups, then 
you get really, really terrible products, you mm -hmm. know, and it's as true on the web as it is, and is is when it comes to industrial design, you know, whether it's um, you know doing uh, automotive design, you know, it's like you know, hey, we built the car, and oh yeah, we we haven't tried it with anyone, but I'm sure it'll be cool, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's too ex it's too expensive to make those kind of um, uh, mistakes, but I think the problem we've all struggled with is. That, you know, UX is not a department, right? Optimization is not a department. These kind of cultures, uh, data-driven and user-centered cultures need to be across all of the teams and everybody, you know? And when, it's only when people get rid of these kind of silos and rework the organization and optimize the host itself that the virus of transformation can actually take hold. It's just, companies aren't ready for user-centered design if they've got silos, you know, it just doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the thing is, we go in there and we can see them and we know, well, we, we know we can do our best work, mm -hmm. but it's still not going to actually change anything mm -hmm. because the lowest common denominator is there's an organizational block on that kind of thinking. Amen. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Craig. For, Sorry, um... be so, so gloomy there. It's actually a very positive outlook I'm thinking about. <laughs> you and your stash. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, thanks so much for calling us, Craig. Uh, it was excellent later. talking to you as always. Have yeah. a great afternoon. Yep. Thank you. Bye, bye, Craig. Bye -bye. See you later. Right. So let's just briefly revisit how we. Uh, uh, prototype for showing presentations in a dome. I was thinking that I'd, well, I'd have something to sketch it on, and it'd be like a, a circle, piece of paper, mm. um, and then maybe I could I could scan it with your telephone or something, take that image, and then you could feed it into the simulator, mm -hmm. um, this mythical <laughs> simulator, yeah. which is street in Google Street View. But when you're saying simulator, <laughs> what I have in my mind is like sort of a domed cardboard box that I oh. put like sheets of paper into that I've sketched on. Oh, cool. So okay. I would be like lying on my bed with this dome cardboard thing on top of me and I would push sheets of paper through mm. it and then next sheet of paper. But the, but the problem the problem there, Pat, is that when you've got a you you've got a flat piece of paper. Yeah, but um, I'm pushing it to the side so it curves. <laughs> So you're not stretching the image in the same way as it will be when it's projected. Uh, so I have, a, I have a flashlight onto the piece of paper and it projects onto the cardboard. Oh, you, you're cutting them out, silhouettes. No, because I've drawn with black, then, then oh. it lets less light through oh, where I've drawn, so it actually I, pr projects. Even though this sounds quite crazy, mm. I think my street view idea is simpler. <laughs> <laughs> I like both of your ideas, actually. <laughs> I, I can tell you what I've been sketching on. Okay. And and these are definitely not solution because I'm also applying a research through design kind of method. So I'm not actually just trying to visualize in my head and come up with a solution, but I actually want to make stuff and through making come up with knowledge. Mm. So what I've been sketching on for these sketching tools, it's a little bit meta design, is um, to actually both try analog a solution like your page mm -hmm. solution and also kind of like Google Street View yeah. kind of type of solution. So I've, I've, I've um, how do you say, I've listed up the different kinds of variations. Um, one type would be to, to just have a small dome um, model and just use paper and pen and paste stuff up. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't convey the immersiveness perhaps and doesn't convey the 
how things will, um, how do you say, morph when mm-hmm. you put things out. But maybe it can give us some sort of sense on where to put things. Ooh, sorry, we've got someone calling. Hey, look, it's Mike Atherton. So, Mike, what um, what would you like to talk to us about today? Um, I would. I was very interested in, in your potential topic about the the so-called demise of US. Mm. Oh, nice. Um, which was which is something I'm sort of. I guess I'm on, on a bit of a hobby horse about, and something I honestly wouldn't be altogether sorry to, to see happen. <laughs> um, I think you're not alone there. So it, I guess it does depend on what we're on what on how we define UX. Um, to me, there are there are even when I sort of talk to people in the in the industry, there's a number of different working definitions. Um, one is a process of user-centered design, um, which I, I wouldn't want to see go away. Um, the other is the slightly nebulous uh, idea of somehow designing an experience, which is more than you know a UI. And then the third thing is this sort of slightly um, awful sort of uh, pseudo-religious cult uh, community status of being a sort of UXer mm-hmm. uh, and, and being a member of the, you know, throwing yourself at the wailing wall of post-it notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, more than anything, is the thing that I would like to, as to divest ourselves of. Um, I, think there's, I think there's two issues. You know, what, what one is that I think it's even still after all these years, UX is struggling to be taken especially seriously. I think people are, um, corporations are buying into the idea of user-centered design. They're, they're, they're buying into the idea of, you know, aesthetic and making things nice um, uh, as led by, you know, Apple and Google and Samsung to a degree and those kind of, uh, you know, industrial design corporations. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, the, w- w- one of the refrains I hear from, from people when I you know, go around co- touch conferences and stuff is, um, is, is that we, you know, how do I get business to buy into the value of UX? And, and, and I think if, you, if we have a community that's all about, like, you know, making very pretty persona diagrams and, and, and doing lots of post-it notes and, and talking about empathy and things like that, and all very kind of, like, soft things, um, it's not that it's wrong. Um, but it's not really speaking the language of business, and 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 therefore it's never going to be taken very seriously. Mm. It's always seen as something an indulgence, or something that's slightly frivolous, and something that we can afford while the going's good. But it's the moment there's a downturn, well, I tell you, they're not going to fire the developers first. Mm. Um, they're going to fire the the, the, the fluffy whale song people. We actually were talking to a friend just Wednesday about uh, an organization in the U.S. where a new manager came along and there was a team of developers and UXers and all the UXers had to go. Yeah, this, right. this, is, this is when it was an, acquis- it was an acquisition yeah. and um, he, just kill- he just kicked out the entire UX gang. He didn't understand what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I, and this is it. And this is something that I, I, you know, I've spoken about before with the whole kind of UX UI thing. Is that is that generally businesses are paying for results, and they can see that you know developers have a quantifiable output. They're they're, they're making something that didn't exist before, um, and when you start to sort of make you know somewhat unusual um, distinctions between 
something called UX and something called UI design, even though 90% of the time a job in UXer is wireframing UIs, um, uh, you, you, you risk being this kind of weird sort of middling position that's not really creating anything, that's just, that, that's just documenting some sort of interim process that's mm -hmm. then built and executed by somebody else. Um, and that's a hard thing to, to justify paying for, I think, at some point. I think one thing that we've, um, well, I've, I've described it in an earlier episode um, about um, macro and micro UX. Because um, mm -hmm. there is this distinction between producing things like wireframes or, or actual interfaces. Um, and then we've got what's been called UX strategy. But I'm a, I'm a bit yeah. of a skeptic when it comes to the whole UX strategy thing. Um, I've seen, well, well, we can talk about that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but but I, I think I, for me, I found it a, a healthier split to talk about macro UX when we're, we're dealing with the kind of umbrella level, the higher level, the, the convincing the management, the showing the, 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 the benefit, the user-centric side of things, the, the utility you can give to your product in order to make it more attractive and sell more, the Apple effect. And then you've got the people who still need to actually, we need people out there to still do the UI stuff. I mean, it's not going to go away, or, or IA stuff. I mean, there's, there's artifacts that need to be, you know, there's processes and artifacts that need to be done and produced. And yeah. it's totally unhelpful that we've been calling everyone UXers in the last few years. It doesn't help mm. anyone really, not in the long term. It's, it's a short-term branding project, but it actually means that businesses are going to, they're buying a UXer. They don't know what the hell they're buying. Right. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And, and I, I, I don't think it was a mistake to, 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 to take that tack in mm. sort of calling people UXers and things. I think it's just I think we're just ready for the next level now. I mean that we, we needed to um, put a fire under the the idea of user centered design of of, of um, designing things that are for use um, and have some sort of measurable benefit to them. But I think really what we're talking about is okay. How do we okay? We can build a nice user centered product. We can build something that actually you know works well and has a pleasing effect. But how do we put that into a crowded marketplace when a billion other people are doing the same thing? How do we differentiate our product proposition to actually be useful in the real world, not just useful in isolation? Um, and that's where it does come into business strategies. It's, you know, it's positioning strategy, it's branding strategy, it's, it's, it's you know, commercial product strategy. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting, but at the same time, I think about how this works with all the kind of uh, websites that are not r directly product-driven. So you know, I'm doing some work with a council website at the moment. Right. You know, how does how does some of this fit into that? Because I mean, there's still a whole range of problems we have with with developing those kind of services and sites. But in fact, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a very similar approach going on in the content strategy world, which is about user centricity in content development how you create content that addresses customer needs. Content is for use. It's not just, you know, the old emptying the company filing cabinet mm. onto the internet thing. Mm. Or, or, you know, let's put a shelf full of PDFs in no particular order because space is free. Um, it's about, it's taking that approach that's been, you know, spearheaded by something like Gov.uk uh, and saying, okay, let's very, you know, radically simplify our, our content strip it right down and, and serve up only the things that people that answer the needs of, of, of the people who are coming um, and again that's that, that is a more strategic approach um, mm -hmm. 
Right, so what I'm hearing is really uh, we need to be better at speaking the language of the business. And that actually uh, makes me think about how many times people ask me as a UXer, so what type of companies do you usually work with? What industry do you work with? And I have tended to argue that, well, I can work with any business because I work user-oriented and I do research and I learn and I draw conclusions from that. But I think there may actually be some benefit to be a UXer working within a type of industry because then you can become better at how the industry works in a business sense, how they make money, what obstacles they have when making money, and learning the language because all, every industry has their own their own uh, new speak, so to speak. And mm. uh, so, perhaps, and that's what I realized also working with health services for the past three or four years, is that I'm learning so much that it helps me convince people that my work is more valuable. Mm-hmm. So perhaps we have to be more niche in UL. Yeah, people say you know it's not user experience if you're not talking to users and and. Really, the, to be technically pedantic about it, it's not user-centered design unless you're talking to users. But you can create an experience for users via any, you know, user experience is something that always exists. It's just about how much care and attention you're going to give it to make it appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you know, I've and certainly in some of the work I've been doing lately, where, where with uh, with companies that specialize in making things like um, corporate websites for um, uh, for investors and that kind of thing, all that kind of like annual report type stuff. What you find is that there, are, you know, there are a lot a lot of parallels because the companies may change, but the information that they're putting out in that context is very uh, similar. Uh, and you start, you know, your user research of an investor for the in the purposes of one company is is going to be pretty much the same as as trying to profile that investor for the next company that you come to. So you can build up um, that that niche knowledge, and it can look a little bit more like you know elements of what they call genius design um, blended with the the, the user centered process of the specific output that you're doing for that project. Um, but your insight can be can come from your expertise, and I think that answers a lot of you know one of the the, the, the nagging problems of being a sort of UX consultant. You know, people businesses tend to want to buy a consultant because they want to buy in some expertise, mm. and it's a very difficult thing to go in on day one and say you know like Aristotle say like all I know is that I know nothing, mm. and. And instead of, you know, you think you're buying somebody with 20 years experience, but actually I'm going to pull in half a dozen people off the street and ask them what they think. Mm-hmm. And, we're going, um, and, and here's my bill. Um, and it's, you, you have to walk that line between, you know, I think it's okay to say, okay, my expertise is actually in process, but you need to have learnings from past projects that are applicable, I think. We, do, we actually mentioned this in an earlier call about um, the... The, the, the fact that there's a lot of UX designers or whatever you want to call them will stand there stand there in a meeting and say that well you know the hamburger menu always works and and, and that's because they've they've managed to sell it in in every single project they've worked with in the last two years right. not done it with you know proper research and, and proper experience and and we've got that challenge there that there are there are people like you, like yourself Mike who's done the proper work and the proper research and has come to a certain amount they've got a, a bag of tricks based on actual learnings and then you've got yeah. the, the people out there who have who've got a bag of tricks based on stuff they've managed to cram into a design and that's and that's impossible for a client to see the difference between um and and very difficult to um 
see through or manage in a in a um, in project. Yeah. I think. I, I I agree, and I, and I think one of the first you know sort of job one really to go in as a consultant is almost as kind of sell your own accountability um, and the accountability of the project. What one of the the, the the reason I think, or part of the reason why things like saying, "Well, the hamburger menu always works," is because is because nobody in the value chain, from designer to agency to client, really cares, and uh, or or is really measuring anything by default. It's just that there is this relationship between the person making the work and the person receiving the work, and the users don't even enter into the equation, uh, and nobody's measuring anything. And as long as the thing looks right by the people who are paying for it, then job done. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so these things, you know, get become truisms because nobody's holding them to account. Um, uh, so the first thing to to I I tend to do with clients is 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 make it clear to them that you know they're they they're investing this money in a project to achieve some business outcome, and they should expect to be able to measure whether that business outcome has been achieved. Um, be that an increase in sales, be that um, you know a reduction in support costs, be that you know whatever it is. Um, uh, but, I, but what I find, I mean, still surprisingly now, is that even the client side has never really thought about that before, mm. and they think that their website is um, just some sort of vague marketing channel at best, mm. um, and and isn't really you know is a sort of necessary evil. We can, we we know we need yeah. to have one, but we don't really care about it. And we don't know what it's for, so we'll just sort of throw some money at it and then. You know, it'll launch, and then three years later, we'll do it all again. Um, and it's 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 getting and again, this come back to this idea of getting US to speak the language of business. It's, it's convincing the business that digital is a valid channel and is more than just marketing, um, and should be there to kind of support the overall goals of the business. And it's no longer a sort of niche thing or an, an adjunct to core business. It is core business because hmm. it's the 21st century. <laughs> yeah. Wow, <laughs> I think you said it all. <laughs> I know that we could keep going. But, um, yeah. No. Thanks so much for calling, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck with the rest of the session. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Mike. Bye. Talk See to you later. later. And that is it for today's listener phone-in. Thank you very much to James Mole McConnell, Mishmash Mole on Twitter for joining yeah. us. And Craig Sullivan. Optimize or die on Twitter for joining us. And Mike Atherton. Who's Mike Atherton um, on Twitter? <laughs> you're laughing. He's got his real name when you're laughing. It's always easier. But, I mean, just, but you, it's like, you were so surprised. He's got his real name. <laughs> oh, <okay>. um, so, <clears throat> well, demise, is, is UX dead? Have we seen the demise? Do we? Do we? Do I we... think we're all in agreement that we can just give up now. Yeah. <laughs> Find new jobs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on, it's not the whole like, no. doom and gloom, is it? <laughs> no, I think it, what I've been hearing is very interesting from different points of view. And what I hear, though, what is similar in all the people that have called in, is that uh, we're in a phase where UX is changing a lot, and I think it's an interesting time to work. In the UX field, and it will, it will be interesting to follow its development, but it will even be, be even more interesting to be part of the change, mm. try to affect it. And as a UX practitioner, I think it's this is the time to be a reflective one, 
try mm. to reflect on what works and what should work and be an active active actor <laughs> yeah in shaping it making time for reflection as well yes is that something that's quite often and this is a good time to do that during yeah, the during those yeah. yeah this <laughs> season yeah um to sit back and reflect a little bit on what you're doing and and think about whether you are doing your best work yes. or the right work yes. or how you can alter your work to be better in the future mm. um and interesting just to reflecting a little bit already that um you know when we started the podcast four and a half years ago um it was started out of the frustration with the silos that were we were seeing that there was a ux silo mm. and then there was all the other silos mm. and the ux silo was the best silo and why doesn't anyone understand mm. us kind of thing whereas we we unfortunately are still living with a silo um, instead of but, breaking down the silos we actually now have many more silos well, within ux exactly <laughs> and what we have now is we, we've now seen that we, we've got the ux silo but that in itself has become fractionalized and and, and, and divided mm. um and, and a bit confused and, and yeah. now at the moment that feels kind of like in part a step backwards um at the same time as we're racing forward mm. and that's and that's and that's actually i think that for me anyway the 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 problem we're living with is that we're we're making such good progress there's some great ideas and great thinking and and ways of working what we're doing mm. we're racing forward and we're maturing like crazy mm. but at the same time we're kind of crumbling apart yeah but maybe that's part of maturity yeah to diversify and start yeah. spreading out yeah. I, think it was, I think it is yeah, yeah. It Wasn't, makes me think of the early adoption curve. So people rush in and they think of blowing their own horns, like I say, and finding that, oh my God, we are so cool and we're doing the best thing for users. And our work is the most important uh, because nobody else cares about the users. Mm. And it turns out that, yeah, a lot of other people actually do care about users. And there are other roles that can do what we can do. And we can integrate with other uh, professions instead of being our own silo. So we are maturing and, and that curve is like on its downward path now mm -hmm. and we're becoming something that is more more accepted but also something that is not as special as we thought maybe it was wasn't it wasn't it lisa lisa welshman that said to us that um that that our industry now is in its teenage years Yes, exactly. And, and then she, we coined mm. the phrase, um, mm. grow up already. <laughs> <laughs> we we retitled mm. her book on, yes. with that. Um, but I think, uh, mm. uh, reflecting about today, then that feels kind of true. Mm. We're, we're a bunch of teenagers. Oh, that's wishful thinking, James. <laughs> yeah. You're right. As I sit here and underneath the spotlight in your studio with my bald head. Uh, <laughs> well, um, thank you very much for joining us as our co presenter. Well, thank um, you for having me. It's really, really fun. <laughs> well, it's been an awesome day. We've been talking here for two hours now about everything and anything and about James's hobbies and stuff. So mm -hmm. it's baking. We'll see. We'll and see people have been watching us online. And I, I'd encourage people, if you're not if not aware that we are actually also uh, broadcasting this online with a video, then by all means, keep an eye out for these coming uh, listener phone-ins listener phone and sign up for the backstage email newsletter on our website to make sure that you get word out uh, or get uh, word of these uh, phone-ins beforehand yeah so um enjoy the rest of your holiday or whatever i'm allowed to call mm. it um and um <laughs> it's, it's, like it's going on no, I, know. I, I don't know why because i never do normally do i uh, it's christmas um <laughs> so you can find us pretty much everywhere as ux podcast um, including uxpodcast.com and um you'll find some show notes there um and some links if i can be bothered to do any this time mm. and um and all our previous shows are in there as an archive um now you're gloomy 
I can't be bothered to do it. Well, <laughs> if someone tells me they use them, then I, no, they do tell us in our service mm. they use them. Um, thank you very much for listening. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas, and remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Now we see. Now we've reached a problem, haven't we? Danway needs to have a tagline. Yeah, that fits in with ours. Oh. And now you have to think of one wow. <laughs> in the no. next three seconds. Oh wow! No, don't don't do that to her. No, no. <laughs> see you on the other side.